All right. Yeah, so grab a Bible if you don't have one. We're definitely going to need those today. Um, so this past week, um, I was at a uh, conference I go to every year it's called Simeon Trust. Um, it's an opportunity for pastors to get together and um, study a book of the Bible. And so um, we did Ecclesiastes uh, this past uh, week. And one of the things we do in that time is we just kind of review um, what is the preacher's task as he comes to the Bible um, to, to understand it the right way so that he can preach it the right way, all right? Um, and it says that the, the two goals of a preacher is to uh, get the point of the text and then get the point across to the people, right? Um, and so I thought it would be helpful for us today to kind of structure our time around one of the main principles about how do we get the point of the text? How do we get, you know, what we need to get from the Bible? Um, and so we're going to kind of be doing a lot of work kind of in pairs today um, on that. Um, and so you guys, one of the, what do I call them? I don't know, principles of Renew Youth Ministry, one of the things we want you guys to come away with is not just the knowledge of the Bible, but a knowledge of how to read your Bible, how to read it the right way, right? So you guys know the old saying, you know, give a man a fish, or we should probably change it more appropriately, give a person a fish, women need fish too, right? And they eat for a day, right? Teach a person to fish, and they eat for a lifetime, or as one of my professors said, they spend all day drinking beer in a boat. Right? That what he said. Um, but no, that's not the point. The point is if you teach someone to fish, then they can eat for a lifetime, right? And so our goal is to not just have me tell you, you know, what the Bible says, but for you to learn how to read it yourself. And I talked to a student the other day, and the student, you know, I asked him about reading the Bible, and they just were really honest, and they said, you know, honestly, when I read it, it just, it's like Chinese to me. You know, the whole thing, I just don't really get it. Okay? And so this is one of the reasons why we would do something like this is to get it a little bit better. All right? So here's the, the pathway that we're going to follow to get it. Okay? We've got this diagram. And um, how to properly interpret and apply the Bible. Well, we start with what does the passage say? So what is my passage? What is the text? What's it telling me? And then we ask the question, we follow the arrow up, what did this passage mean for the original readers? Right? And, and the reason we do that is because if we go the wrong route, sometimes we do this. Sometimes we go straight here to the end. What does this passage mean for us today? So we read it, and I say, well, what does it mean for me today? And that leads to a lot of bad interpretations of the Bible. Okay? We take things out of context. We, we just look at the one verse in the passage that seems to be saying something maybe encouraging, um, something that I could put on a calendar, and you know, you know, it, it, it speaks to me. And and I walk away with this great encouraging verse that really doesn't mean anything that I'm using it to mean in my life, right? So, so we can't just jump straight across to say, what does it mean for me? We go up and we say, well, what does it mean for the original readers? What is, in our book, Exodus, what is Moses communicating when he writes this? And once we understand that, then we go through Jesus. How does this passage point to Jesus? Okay, because we believe the whole Bible is about Jesus. And then from there, we finally get to what does this passage mean for us today? So we're going to walk that path today with our text um, and hopefully just glean uh, some additional insights uh, from our text. So open up in your Bible to Exodus chapter 11. 
And one of the things we don't do often is read large chunks of the Bible, but sometimes that's, that's helpful. Um, and so we're going to read a somewhat larger chunk here. Um, and as we read, I'm going to pause every few minutes um, and let you guys make observations or ask questions as you read. So our task when we read the passage is to read it, make observations, and just kind of ask questions, interact with it as we go. So we're going to start in chapter 11. Um, you guys know that we spent the last three weeks looking just at the plagues, right? So we were all in the plagues. Chapter 11 is where the final plague begins. And you'll notice that it goes from 11, the final plague is threatened, to 12, the Passover, um, all the way through chapter 12, and then to 13, where it talks about the feast uh, of the unleavened bread. Um, so it's, it's quite a bit of time dedicated to this. So we're going to read all of 11 and 12, okay? So here we go. Let's start actually in the verse right before 11, 1029, um, or 1028. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they... Uh, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. So that's Moses say this to the people of Israel. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Remember earlier it had said, I am going to make you like God to Pharaoh, is what God says to Moses. And we, and we see that happening here. They're all just in reverence of Moses, in, in awe of Moses. So Moses said, now this is a little tricky, but it, it sounds like Moses is saying this back in the Egyptian court. Okay, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So pause real quick. Any observations? Any questions on that first part? What, what is basically being described here? The final plague is being described, right? And what's the final plague? Death to the firstborn. Okay. Anything in there sound weird to you and you wonder what that meant? Okay, we'll, we'll keep reading then. 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. Now, what is happening? What's happening here is it seems like there's this like interplay between God carrying out the final plague and God telling Moses how he and the Israelites are going to remember this plague for the rest of their lives. Okay? And it kind of switches in between those two things. So here he's starting to talk about this Passover, okay, and, and how it's supposed to be remembered. So the month, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. In other words, you're supposed to change your calendar so that now the year begins with the Passover. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. So he's talking about how they're supposed to remember it. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then... They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So did you feel how it kind of transitioned from you're supposed to be doing this when you remember it, but also here's what's about to happen, right? Okay, any, any questions so far on what's about to happen? Yeah, I think that the, the whole purpose of the way the meal is taking place is speed, right? So you're supposed to roast the lamb over the fire. Um, you're supposed to roast it whole. And, and I think the reason for that is quick, this is the quickest way to cook a lamb and then eat the lamb because you're going to need to, moving day is coming very quickly. You're gonna, and that's why you're also eating with your belt fastened and you've got your staff in your hand, you've got your shoes on, you know, you're not in your pajamas and then Pharaoh says, get out of my land. And you're like, oh, I have to get dressed, I've got to pack my bags. God's saying, this is about, you're about to leave. So get ready to leave. I think that's the point. Good question. Any other thoughts or uh, observations here? The unleavened bread Exactly the same thing, yeah. So speed, unleavened bread is, is you, you know, it's bread without the yeast that makes it rise. You don't have time to wait for it to rise. We're making crackers, okay? So you've you got to get your crackers ready. All right. And bitter herbs. It just says bitter herbs there, right. Um, I don't know exactly why bitter herbs. I do know, I think that the... Uh, down through history, the bitter herbs, as part of the meal, reminded them of the bitterness of slavery. Um, I think that's so. I don't know if that's God already building that in here for the future. For the future. Yeah. 
Okay, good. So let's keep reading verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from the land of Israel. And on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone must be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. What is he describing there? Is he describing what's about to happen or how you're supposed to remember it? How you're supposed to remember it, right? And it's kind of repetitive, right? You guys picking up on the repetition here? You know, no leaven, don't eat the leaven. You know, if, if you do this, someone does it, they're cut off. He says that two times. So what does repetition tell us when we see that in the Bible? When something's just being repeated? It's important. It's important. Okay? So that should, for our next question, we're going to go there, but that should prick our minds. This is important. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, so now we're kind of going back to, here's when it actually happened, the first Passover. Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel in the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, shall keep this service, uh, as promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Okay? Any questions here? All right, so, so what we've seen so far is Moses says, here's what's going to happen with the Passover plague. And then Moses says, here's what you need to do, Israelites, for the Passover. And, and here's how you need to remember it after you've done it. And now you need to go and do it. And then he's going to say again, and, and here's how you need to remember it. So I, does it seem like this is a pretty important day that we're trying to remember here? Okay, so let's, let's finish up the chapter real quick. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. 
The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. That's really interesting. Just pause real quick. Mixed multitude means some Egyptians probably. Some Egyptians were so taken with the God of Israel that they said, we're coming with you. Okay? Yeah. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough they had brought out of Egypt, and it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all generations of Israel throughout their generations. And then it says, here's what you need to do for the Passover. So it talks again about the institution of the Passover night. You're supposed to take this lamb. You're not supposed to break any of its bones. You're supposed to eat it. And then chapter 13 is talking about, and here's how you're supposed to celebrate Passover week, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Passover, 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 all over the place, two, three chapters long, right? Talking about the Passover. So That took us 18 minutes to get to just reading the text. So now, let's start doing a little bit of work in the text. So next question is going to be, what did this passage mean for the original readers? And and for this part, let's just focus on chapter 12. We don't need to look at 11 and, and 13, just to keep it a little simpler. Focus on chapter 12. And here are some questions that we can ask ourselves as we want to understand what it meant for the original readers. So... What is the author emphasizing in this passage? We've kind of already said it. This isn't super hard. What is the author emphasizing in this passage? Say it again. I can't hear speed. Okay, yeah, so we've got speed. What else is being emphasized? Yeah, the unleavened bread. Like that seems really important. We keep saying again and again and again, like get all the yeast out of your homes, no leaven in your home. Yeah. An emphasis on like remember like tradition, so keep this in. Yeah, sorry, I disappeared here for a second. So we've got the blood. 
blood of the lamb is super important. And, and when it talks about the remembrance of the Passover, there's a couple key elements. One is you're supposed to always sacrifice a lamb with your family, put the blood on the doors, and you're also supposed to eat unleavened bread, right? Those are really important elements of remembering the Passover. Okay, so these are, these are the things that are being emphasized. Um, another question you can ask, what were the original readers supposed to take away from the passage? Um, we've got a number of them already here, but does that kind of kick anything else up in your mind? Yeah, I just keep thinking, this is telling you exactly what to do to safely leave, to safely get across. Yeah, so the point <laughs> is getting out of Egypt, right? How to safely be saved from slavery is a huge point here. Like we want you to get out of Egypt. Yeah. I just have a question. How come when God told them to take the silver and jewelry from the Egyptians? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think part of it is that they're a bunch of slaves, okay, and they're about to go out into a cruel world, and they need provisions for themselves. And one of the interesting things is what they're going to use all of this silver and gold for in the next couple chapters is they're going to melt it all down and use it to make um, the tabernacle and the temple. They're also going to use it to make the golden calf. All right, that's not the best use of it. But later on, they have all this silver and all this gold that they're going to use to make the tabernacle and all the things that they're going to use to worship God. Okay, so I think that's kind of interesting. It's, I think it's also another way of God just kind of show, showing that it's a smackdown on Egypt. <laughs> that he wins. Okay? Alright, any other thoughts here? What the original readers were supposed to take away? What is, how about where does this passage fit into the big picture of the book? What's Exodus 1 through 15 been talking about? Yeah, so we've got this. How to safely be saved from slavery. So this is this is the culmination of, you know, the book started by saying they've been in slavery for 400 years. And if you see that verse in chapter 12 here, it says, chapter 12, verse 40, the time of the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So it's kind of this like ending statement to say They'd been in slavery for 400 years, and this was the last day of it. This is where it ended, okay? It ties back to Abraham's, the promise to Abraham as well, uh -huh. in the sense that this is the beginning of the nation, you know, in the sense that a nation needs a people, a land, and a government. And so this first ceremony, you know, the, this is the beginning of their calendar, this is of their identity as a nation. Right. Not just groups of people that are stuck in somebody else's land. But right. They're, going to, they're heading to their own land now. They're, this is the birth of a nation, okay? And that's more than just... I'm sorry if I'm about to gross some of you out, but just... Um, you guys know how babies are born, okay? When babies are born, there is amniotic fluid or water surrounding the baby, and, and a baby passes through the water to be born. Let's just say it that way. Where is Israel headed? Water. The Red Sea. 
what's going to happen? It's going to be parted. They are passing through the waters. It is the birth of a nation, very much so. And I don't, I don't think that's an accident that they pass through the waters to be born as a nation. Okay? Very interesting, right? <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, so yeah, this is fulfillment, the birth of a nation. What was the other thing that we've been talking about that Exodus is all about? It's all about God revealing himself, right? You remember how we said these plagues were so that God, God keeps saying, I'm doing these plagues so that you will know who I am and what kind of a God I am. So that Israel will know, so that Egypt will know. And what kind of a God is he showing himself to be in chapters 11 and 12? Yeah, he's shown his power quite a bit, but what's his power doing now? He's finally doing it. He's saving him, right? So God is a savior. So God's a God who saves his people. Okay? When the Israelites would have gone back and read the Exodus for the next hundreds of years, these are the things that they would be reading when they read this passage, right? And they would be remembering, like, for example, if you were a little Jewish kid, 500 years after the Exodus, this chapter would be explaining why it is your year begins with Passover. Why it is your year begins with this week where you go through your kitchen and take out all of the leaven out of your kitchen. Why this begins with you all getting together with your family and sacrificing a lamb and putting the blood on the doorpost and eating it. It's explaining all of this to you as a family, okay? So now that we've done the work of getting to them then, now we want to ask the question, well, how does this point to Jesus? How does this passage point to Jesus? And as we do that, I want to show you a quick verse from Luke. You guys know the story from Luke where Jesus is on the road to Emmaus after he's resurrected. He meets these two guys going to Emmaus and he starts talking to them. And here's what he says to them. Oh, foolish ones, slow, to, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus took the Old Testament and he said, here's how all of the Old Testament is pointing to me and what I have to do. So, so Jesus confirms that the Old Testament points to him. And so it's a good question for us to ask, how does this point to Jesus? So I'm going to let you do that with the person sitting next to you, okay? So brainstorm. Here's some questions to help guide you. Um, does this passage point forward to what Jesus will do or backward to what Jesus has done? That's pretty easy. Okay, if you know where you are in your Bible, it's, you're towards the front. Um, is there an image or object in this passage that is used later in Scripture to talk about Jesus? And does Jesus say anything or do anything related to our passage? Okay, so get into groups of four or five and brainstorm that. Write down any New Testament verses that you can think of, any themes, ideas, and we'll discuss those in a minute. All right, thoughts. How does it point to Jesus? Yeah? Uh, just, we kind of saw it as, it's like, it's pointing to Christ, 
kind of a reflection of what, you know, Moses is kind of a reflection of what God is planning to do, just in regards to just, like, uh, this idea of, like, you know, Moses, the God is saving them, and then this idea that the people are in bondage, but then when Jesus comes, the world is in bondage, and he's coming to save them. So just, like, this reflection of, like, slavery. Okay. So we're going to take this line of God as Savior, right? And does it say, does the Bible say something about Jesus being a Savior? Yeah, right? You guys know what Yeshua means, or Jesus, Jesus sorry. Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. You know what it means? Yahweh saves. God saves, okay? So Jesus' name is God saves. And when the angel comes to Mary, the angel says to Mary, you will name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Okay? So definitely a clear line that God is Savior and Jesus is Savior. What else? Uh-huh. Okay, so we've got bitter herbs back here as part of the Passover, and then there's this bitter cup that Jesus says he has to drink in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, might be some relationship there, definitely uh, bitterness is a common theme there. What other lines could we draw? I, even just from these words here on this side, how do these things point us to Jesus? Yeah. Oh, when I was telling us to remember, like for communion, we always say, I like, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah, so it says to remember, and when we take communion, and we should probably say, you know, the reason we do this is because Jesus said, you know, to do this to remember me, right? So communion, Jesus says, do this when you remember me. Yeah? Um, the blood of the Lamb, when they put it on the doorpost, it's like Jesus. Okay, so we've got two things here. Okay, the blood of Jesus is, is really important, right? He dies on the cross. His blood is poured out for us. But before that happens, Jesus takes the cup at the Last Supper and says, this is my blood, right? Okay? And then you also said something about him being the lamb, okay? Any Anything about the lamb that we should put here? Where, where is that connect to Jesus? There's also supposed to be like the lamb without blemish, and Jesus stays in. Okay. So a lamb without blemish, okay? So um, Jesus is perfect say, without blemish. Yeah? Just the idea of what Mr. Gilmer said, Abraham, the birth of a nation, just this idea of, like, it's the beginning, like, after Jesus' death, it's like, it's the beginning of the Christian church, and it's going to spread to different nations. Okay. So Jesus brings about the birth of the church, doesn't he? So this is the birth of the Israelite nation, and Jesus brings about the birth of the church. Yeah? Uh, to continue on the lamb, uh, um, the lamb, the lamb's blood was supposed to protect them, um, and uh, Jesus 
exactly right. Okay, so blood is the means of protection. It's how God protected the Israelites from the destroying angel going throughout the land, and it's how Jesus protects us from God's wrath. Okay, very clear line there. More on the lamb. John says, John the Baptist. Do you remember what he says when Jesus comes to get baptized? Yeah, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Now it's interesting because there's a number of references Jesus is called throughout the Bible. I mean, John could have said, behold the Lion of Judah. That's another one that's used, okay? Um, there's a, a couple images, but he decides to say Lamb of God. So Jesus is a Lamb. Jesus is perfect and without blemish. There's something else about the Lamb that was important. It says... Um, you shall not break any of its bones when you take the Passover back here. The lamb, break no bones. Does that make you think of Jesus in any way? Yeah, it specifically says when Jesus dies that there is no broken bones because whose bones were broken at the crucifixion? Yeah? The robbers because they hadn't died yet? Yeah, the two thieves, they had their legs broken so that they would die faster on the cross. But when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. And you might think when you read the Gospels, that's an interesting detail. So they didn't break his legs. But it's pointing us to the fact that he, in fact, is the Passover lamb. He's no broken bones. He's without blemish. He's called the Lamb of God. Okay? Does the Bible say anything about slavery? And Jesus say anything about slavery? Yeah, he says that we're slaves to sin. Okay? Is there anything about unleavened bread? The bread at the Passover? Yeah, at, at the Passover, it's the unleavened bread, but with Jesus? Okay, so he calls himself the bread of life. When do we eat on unleavened bread? Communion. At, at communion, right? So at the Last Supper, Jesus was eating unleavened bread. Why was Jesus eating unleavened bread at the Last Supper? Because it was Passover. Okay, so when Jesus is dying, it's all taking place. During Passover week. Okay, so not a coincidence that during Passover week, when you sacrifice a lamb to save you from slavery, to remember that God is your Savior God, Jesus comes, he's crucified. Before he's crucified, he takes this bread and he, and he takes this blood and he says to use these things to remember him, that he's, his body was broken, that his blood was shed. Okay, Jesus is this perfect Lamb of God who sacrificed. Jesus says we're all slaves to sin and that Jesus came so that he could save us from our sins. It's the birth of the church. I mean, the connections between Exodus 12 and, the, and Jesus are overwhelming. Okay? Yes? Also, um, he uh, said uh, that the bread was his body. Exactly, yeah. Bread is his body. Cup is his blood. So the final... Oh, yeah. One more thought. Why do you say that the, like, his body was broken for us? 
is, yeah, I mean, his flesh, his body, yeah, broken for us. Well, he takes that, it's because he physically takes the bread and he breaks it and says, my body broken for you. We mean like broken unto death, his body was killed, yeah. Okay, so then we would go to the last thing here. What does this passage mean? Whoops, over too fast there. What does this passage help us understand um, about how do, we, how do we apply this? What does it help us understand about God and ourselves? Does this passage teach us about how we're to live today? Um, I know we're out of time. But what, what would be some lines that you would draw from Jesus to us now? Do any of these things here continue to us now? Yeah. We need a Savior, don't we? So this come, continues... Why do we need a savior? Because we're slaves to sins too, right? Okay? And if Jesus has died to save us, you know, if Jesus is the Lamb of God, well then Jesus is the one who comes and, and can save us as Savior. That's how it works. And if we accept this, what do we become? We're, we're part of the church, right? Um, and what do we need to do? We need to remember this. You notice that God says this is supposed to be something you remember forever. Forever and ever. So why don't we celebrate Passover? Why don't we take a week to, to get rid of all the leaven from our houses? Because it's been replaced with a different meal. It's been replaced with communion. Okay, so, so now we remember the statute forever as the people of God by taking the cup and taking the bread. Which means communion is kind of a big deal, isn't it? Like, it's not something that we just kind of do as Christians. It's a really, really big deal to remind us who we are, what Jesus has done for us, you know, all that stuff. Okay, I know I've gone over, so we'll stop there. Thank you, guys. Hopefully that was helpful. I'd encourage you to use that as you read the Bible on your own.